Welcome to the 28th episode of Tokenizing Everything, our weekly interview series with thought leaders in the industry. Today's guest is Hisham Farag, Head of Department of Finance, Director of Sustainable Financial Innovations Research Center at the University of Birmingham. Before I begin, I have to mention that all opinions are solely personal and do not reflect the opinion of Amazing Blocks or any other involved parties. So it's a pleasure to have you here, Hisham, today. Um, how are you? Uh, thank you very much, Nicholas, uh, and thanks for having me. Everything's so far so good, and uh, I'm ready for uh, for this event. <laughs> yeah, also looking forward to it. Um, I think we are, you know, at the right time in regards to discussing sustainability and uh, you know tokenization of blockchain in general. So with with everything that's going on in the media with Elon Musk and all these different topics in regards to the proof of work chain. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very excited for today's conversation. And I would like to say, let's start with a brief intro of yourself. And um, then we can kind of deep dive into the topic. Okay, great. So first, uh, uh, my name is Hisham Farad. I'm professor of finance at the moment at Birmingham Business School and director of sustainable financial innovation research center at the university. My research interests mainly on uh, uh, financial technology, fintech, and sustainability, climate change, and others. Uh, I have been working uh, uh, for the academia and also in industry for such long time, and I really enjoy mixing the expertise between academic world and the industry as well. Yeah, I think it's it's always good to have kind of that that merge in place right you you have kind of that neutral bird view perspective on the one hand on the other hand you still have that practicality that you can actually you know initiate things you know get get things going so that's it's a very you know perfect good combination i would say for okay. healthy growth and um you know auspicious innovations so before we dive into really the the blockchain topic and and um, the sustainability Let's maybe start by what generally started your interest in the finance sector. Why why did you choose to go down in that to that path? Yeah, so so this starts actually when I first studied finance at the undergraduate level. This is so many years ago. So I was really attracted by the way that financial analysts diagnose and dig deeper into financial statements and look at the financial performance of companies and provide recommendations, investment decisions, and so on. And then I was really motivated at that time. So I joined Deloitte for more than 15 years, working on uh, IPOs and financial analysts forecast and uh, valuations and business restructuring, all of these, including M&As and so on. So then I completed my PhD, uh, uh, so which I really uh, enjoyed very much at the University of Birmingham. So mixing the academic and industry expertise actually gave me uh, probably uh, more insights to the real world experience. So this this really what attracts me to finance and financial sector at the beginning. Okay, yeah, that uh, that's interesting. And then um, you you kind of went through the through the you know I would say so to say traditional financial sector at first, and then you also started focusing on the topic of sustainability. Can you maybe elaborate on this a bit? Yeah. Uh, just look when when I when I just reflect on the in the history when I started as a, a undergraduate and then master's students and PhD students, look at the finance discipline is no longer the same as I studied. So so this fintech revolution transformed everything. 
So transform banking industry, financial service industry, portfolio management, and, and all aspects of, of finance. So bankers for the future, for instance, will be different. They will have, they should have different backgrounds, skill set. They will need, they will need to be familiar with the, uh, the techniques like uh, AI, machine learning, big data, definitely blockchain uh, technologies and cybersecurities. So what I'm saying is what we used to study in the past is completely different now. So we, it's a learning curve and we keep learning and learning. So definitely this raised many interesting questions and research questions for finance academics. As you know, most of the, or probably all finance academics, we do research to inform policy. So we are not living in isolation from the real world. So what we can see the financial sector now is completely different. So we are motivated to, to, to understand the phenomena, what's going on, and more importantly, the implications of financial systems. Having said that, to be honest with you, just, uh, uh, just the, the revolution in banking industry is, is not new, by the way. The debate started in 1990s. I just remember uh, when Bill Gates mentioned uh, on one of his uh, 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 brief about, uh, uh, he said banking is necessary, but banks are not. So this debate was on 1990s, but we can see now that there is a lot of changes going on banking industry and financial sector. The change in social media and, the, and, and, and how it attracting younger generations. I remember one of my students, they, they told me once I would prefer to go to the dentist rather than standing in a queue uh, waiting for the teller to finalize my uh, probably bank account and stuff like that. Yeah, I think generally throughout the entire history, uh, there's always been you know, a lot of changes in the financial sector in general, right? And now we are on the, and the new wave. So maybe to start with this, how, how was your first experience with the, you know, crypto space or maybe DeFi? Like, well, people always describe a certain wow moment, so to say, that kind of really kicked, kicked it off for them to dive into this topic. What was this moment for you? And why did you choose to kind of also focus um, your studies and your practical, practical approaches to this, to this sector? Yeah, so I think uh, probably reflecting on uh, my uh, career, I think uh, I started my research interest uh, focusing on corporate governance, which was at that time very timely topic and really very hot topic. Uh, but uh, as I probably mentioned that uh, everyone, uh, we observe that there is a significant change in financial sector and regulations and, and what's going on with the uh, 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 fintech revolution that changed everything. So since we are aware of the, we start to be aware of Bitcoin since inception in 2009 and, and some other events happened like, uh, I'm sure you and our audience probably are aware of the most expensive pizza that on this event in 2010 in which somebody was offering uh, 10,000 bitcoins to for two large pizzas. So, so I guess this is the most expensive pizza <laughs> in the history. So what you can see what's going on in financial sector and this revolution, this attracts my attention straight away as one of the academics. 
So we need to do research to inform policy, to understand the phenomena, to understand what might uh, the impact on the financial sector. I started working on this uh, probably uh, four or five years ago. I started with the uh, revolution crowdfunding and peer-to-peer -peer lending and, and how this changed the access to finance to individuals and also for SMEs. We published few papers on that and then I start to uh, get attracted to ICOs and tokenization and and, and, and so on. So uh, uh, we it's, it's a learning curve as, as I mentioned. Yeah, definitely, and especially in a in a space where there's almost every day, you know, a big innovation coming out, and that's in the space that's moving so fast, like the blockchain space. I mean, we had thought that uh, the internet is, is, you know, industry is kind of moving quite quickly, but the blockchain is <laughs> a whole other topic. On, on that regard, I think it's it's crucial that we have academics, um, you know, that kind of look at it from a neutral perspective and also say, you know that will especially in the future with research papers and so on help a lot of people you know also tap into the space from a more you know i would say established uh, approach than you know when when probably you and i joined the space where everything <clears throat> was a lot of like there was a lot of fragmentation in the sector it was hard to find information a lot of scams and and you know obviously bad things also happening in that regard and also yeah. um I, i don't want to go into that topic too much but also Things like Dogecoin are also something where <laughs> I think we all have our uh, own opinion on that regard. But so it's crucial um, that academia is, is also, you know, focusing on that. Could you maybe give us like a high level perspective like in, of, of how academia and blockchain kind of, you know, align or, or even better what the current status quo in that regard is? Yeah. So probably I reflect on what you have just mentioned now. I think that we, we all agree that there are some Uh, great benefits of uh, blockchains and tokenization. And there are also some challenges that we, we may have time to reflect on. But uh, uh, in, in academia, what, what, what I observe and everybody is, is, is observing at the moment that we, we can see increasing number of published papers and working papers in the area of the FinTech and blockchain technologies. Not only, by the way, it's not only in the finance discipline, because of the implications and the application of blockchains not related only to finance, can see in the uh, operation management, in marketing and, and different disciplines. But my focus is on finance, which is, I can see increasing number of projects. The, 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 the concept of, of DeFi or decentralized finance also created a new, what we call in academia, new strand in the literature. So when you, when you search for the literature, you find now new strand, which is DeFi. Many papers are coming out uh, uh, into this trend. Many universities also reflect into this. And what we can see on the education side, that blockchain technology now are embedded in the curricula, in, in different courses, different modules, and, and different uh, 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 programs. Uh, new MSc programs were developed. So I will I maybe uh, have time to talk about the New MSc in FinTech in Birmingham, in which we are collaborating with the School of Computer Science. So we teach uh, our students the knowledge about blockchain technologies, uh, machine learning and cybersecurity and so on. So we can also see uh, more proposals coming from uh, uh, potential PhD students. They are really attracting the attention of the new generations. So I can see that there is 
uh, probably a shift, not only in the research, but also in the education about the attraction and the intention of new generation to do more work uh, on blockchain uh, uh, technologies and fintech broadly. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, a new wave of innovation coming and then uh, a lot of the younger people, people from the younger generations are mainly focusing more on the DeFi space as there's generally an increased doubt in regards to the legacy banking systems, right? As you also mentioned correctly, people who either go to the dentist and stand in line at the bank. So it's definitely exciting to see how we have, we are in this transformational stage within this industry. So as you mentioned, you're, you're at the Birmingham University, you're the director of sustainable, at the financial, sustainable Financial Innovation Research Center. Could you maybe give us a brief intro of what this is actually and what your day-to-day -day business looks like? Okay. Uh, the, again, we, we, we look at the, the, the main uh, topics or the main uh, areas of research that needs more highlight uh, to inform policy and, and may have implications to the regulators and financial sector. So we can uh, see, or we may agree that uh, two main topics now that are attracting the attention of probably of, of uh, uh, industry and academia worldwide, uh, both are in the FinTech and the sustainability. So the, the, the idea of the research center uh, came out to combine both wings together and we established the so-called SFIC or Sustainable Financial Innovation. So this is a center of excellence and the first interdisciplinary research center that focus on FinTech and financial innovation at the University of Birmingham. So we collaborate with different schools, not only in the business schools, different universities. And also we are really very proud that we have uh, many industry partnership and industry collaboration. So we seek to undertake cutting edge interdisciplinary research in the area of financial innovation and sustainability more or less. Yeah, thanks. It's, I think it's crucial, you know, that we have that um, educational arm that is focusing on fostering sustainability also within the uh, blockchain space, but we can get into this in a second. From your experience, you know, why do you consider it, and we've already touched on it briefly, but Generally, why do you consider it crucial that especially in such a new industry like the DeFi space or, you know, the token economy in general, that education is really the key here to actually foster a sustainable, you know, approach to this and a sustainable future? Yeah, I think this is a, a quite uh, important point, uh, Nicholas. So education is one of the fundamental challenges to create the new pool of skills required for the job market. So as again, as I mentioned at the, at the introduction, so the finance discipline is different and definitely the finance education should be different as well. So the skills we, we, we used to deliver or to offer to our graduates uh, years ago is no longer the same. So all graduates now must be aware of the machine learning and AI and coding and so on. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this new pool of talent is required to face the increasing demand on new jobs. So it's, it's no longer we have the traditional jobs in financial sector. We can, we can hear now about what is called crypto asset manager. We never heard about that uh, many years ago, uh, tokenization provider, uh, crypto bankers. We never heard that before. 
So what we are doing in education, as and I'm sure most of the uh, higher education institutions they do, we're trying to fill the skills gap. So first introducing uh, the, uh, the knowledge at the undergraduate level, we are doing that actually in, in Birmingham, we introduced a particular finance pathway for undergraduate students. And also we, for the uh, MSc level or postgraduate level, we introduced the MSc FinTech that I highlighted with the School of Computer Science. So I guess this, this should be crucial for the DeFi space in which the current pool of talent is either programming or finance. So we can, can find graduates in School of Engineering or Computer Science and graduates from finance. But what we are doing is to, to merge both. So our programs merge both and offer the job market the required skill for the DeFi space and fintech generally. Yeah, and I think it's very crucial because you know, basically becoming a hybrid of tech and maybe, you know, sustainability and finance. And then we have kind of a, an aligning triangle that really aims to foster the, the workforce of tomorrow, so to say. So throughout your, your work um, at the University of Birmingham, you've obviously, and I, I know from my own readings, um, have published some very interesting publications. Could you maybe share some insights on, on what you've written on and maybe what you're currently writing? If you can share. Okay. Yeah, that's great. I think uh, I'll just I may reflect on one of my recent uh, uh, published papers. Uh, it's published in the uh, Journal of Corporate Finance. And the title of that paper is uh, How Alternative Finance Informs Central Themes in Corporate Finance. In, in that paper, just to simply, I'm just, I looked at the development fintech and how this development changed the well-established concepts in corporate finance, such as the SNA trade information, agency problems, those well-established concepts in the, in the era of FinTech is gonna be different. So how? I'll just give you an example. <clears throat> so the paper highlights that to compare with the traditional uh, alternative finance, ICOs, for example, they are unique. They have several advantages as probably uh, everybody's aware they, they, they are, we have, they, they, are, they have less transaction cost and, 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 and less regulatory cost. Uh, of course, liquidity is, is much, much higher. So among other advantages. So this indeed helped mitigate the traditional alternative finance frictions, such as the asymmetry of information and agency problems. I highlighted also on the paper that companies raising funds, uh, such as ICOs, are much younger. These are the characteristics, younger and also smaller in size. And at the earlier stage of the life cycle of those companies compared with IPOs. So as I mentioned earlier, there is a new strand of the literature. You can find many, many papers now are written on the comparison between ICOs and IPOs. It's really very interesting to see. So ICOs do not normally rely on underwriters, for instance. Okay, the same as an IPO. So this significantly reduce the transaction and legal cost and, and so on. And I guess finally, if I uh, uh, remember, I highlighted the challenges also facing ICOs, such as uh, fraud scams and the lack of trust. So for instance, we know that uh, they, 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 one of the definitions or one of the types of tokens that they, they are regarded as promised payment instruments, okay? So to be redeemed, when a particular service or product are delivered. 
So there is a great uncertainty uh, 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 that whether products and service will be developed uh, or not. So there are some challenges are associated with, with ICOs, cryptocurrencies and ICOs. <clears throat> Investors are more subject to, as you know, greater volatility, greater uncertainty uh, compared with traditional uh, 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 sources of finance and so on. And also investors are subject to greater risk of probably uh, fraud because they are not uh, adequately protected by uh, uh, laws. So legal framework needs to be more developed. So those are the main highlights of my recent paper. We are working on different projects at the moment related to how to use blockchains in order to solve the, uh, the actual problems such as climate change. So it's still early. Uh, uh, project, but uh, I would like to discuss that probably in, in a different uh, podcast with you in due course. <laughs> and I'm definitely looking forward to receiving more information on that. And yeah, obviously always welcome on that regard. So now as we, we come, are we already in the second half of the interview? I would like to, you know, kind of before we really dive into tokenization to sustainability, you know, have the weekly be in crypto special question. They always post questions from the community and I, I select one specific question for my guest. And this week's question was, what extra steps do we need to pass before tokenization becomes part of our everyday life? And I think it really kind of goes into that field. Okay, what are the obstacles that we still need to surmount before we reach mainstream adoption? Yeah, yeah, I think this, this is a very good question. So to, to, to well answer the question, let's uh, quickly look at the history. As I mentioned that we need, we, nobody can, nobody could imagine the same as nobody could imagine what happened with the pandemic. Nobody was able to imagine since the inception of Bitcoin in 2009 uh, and followed by the ICOs uh, phase with uh, the started with the ICOs of Ethereum. And now we are in the, uh, what is called the, token economy phase. So uh, when you look at uh, how many cryptos are there in the market, probably when you ask those questions, there are, there are more than 4,000 cryptocurrencies in existence in January, 2021. I'm sure not, not all of them are really popular. Few of them are much more popular, but that, this gives you indication that where is the direction of travel? Where are we going? So token economy phase in which we are living now, I guess, in which we are, uh, we will see more on tokenized asset offering, just to uh, uh, shy away from ICOs and 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 and, and STOs, and we're gonna we're gonna tokenize everything as as the title of your podcast. We can see now central banks are uh, talking about digital currencies and the. And, the, the, and the, 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 the evolution of DeFi more generally. As you rightly mentioned, Nicholas, about the advantages and challenges, there is no question about the increase in liquidity, which is something really uh, uh, one of the, to me, is one of the most important benefits of the, the blockchain and, and tokenization, or, uh, 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 more or less. So the era of decentralized financial systems is really important. The proof of ownership. So we, we just traditional tools is just the proof of ownership. Sometimes really very very hard. But now it's going to be easier with the with the use of uh, tokens uh, to track ownership, so on. 
and of course simplify the process and the, it's very cost effective but we have to be uh, uh, like uh, we need to to acknowledge the challenges in order to to see what's the way forward over the coming few years so standardization one of the big challenges very few standards at the moment and they are not there yet so we need to work more on the standardization the country specific regulations and compliance is not there yet so we again we need more work in order to improve this uh, uh, infrastructure the regulatory and legal framework and so on uh, the increase the likelihood of fraud and other illegal activities what should we done this is really important to to get together uh, academics uh, industry practitioners to set the framework how can we do that how can we face cyber risk for instance and and to protect uh, uh, the uh, participants on that market and if you want to promote this market we have to put a system in place to protect those uh, participants so so the ecosystem and the infrastructure of tokenization needs to be reconsidered in my view over the coming few years so this will pave the way for uh, more on the smart contracts this will, will facilitate more on the tokens issuance it will create the what's called token exchanges specialized token exchanges crypto banks and so on so so those are the uh, what we need to do but also <clears throat> in the longer run what we will need to do is just to work on the legal frameworks so there are some issues at the moment i'm sure uh, uh, your audience want from the uh, with their knowledge on uh, tokens so there are some technical uh, problems such as the usage right against the ownership right we don't have the solution to this issue at the moment so we need to keep working on that just to the ownership of the underlying asset itself the concepts the, when, when when you read uh, concepts about uh, tokenization from uh, some background and other backgrounds or some other website and other uh, uh, provider so the generalization of concepts and definitions are really crucial so we need to talk about the same thing all the time not varies from uh, 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 provider to provider from business to business and also we what we are expecting that financial markets they need to respond quicker in particular uh, i was thinking just to support uh, tokens there will need there will need to be more or new instruments uh, which is derivatives like instruments to support the tokens on real estate for instance so probably uh, uh, financial markets in my view uh, will need to response uh, respond a bit quicker to just to 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 cope with the uh, massive growth in this uh, in this area yeah i think that's uh, definitely a, a great point that you mentioned there it has to be a bit more dynamic right and also on par with the the speed of the technology so to say so in regards to the sustainability topic you know obviously those that follow the the you know crypto markets know that right now you know it's it's quite a hot topic so to say where, where everyone's talking about okay the bitcoin energy consumption i mean those that have been in the industry quite some time they already know about it right i mean ethereum is already dealing with it They're already in the phase where they will most likely, if they are successful, jettison the proof of work chain, 
but just interested to hear what is your take on the current discussions? Is it validated? I mean, obviously there's already a lot of the mining power gained from sustainable sources. Still there's room to grow, but yeah, just interested to hear what your take is on this whole kind of bus that is going on right now. Yeah, I think this is uh, again, important uh, point, Nicholas. Uh, everybody now is talking about uh, climate change and climate risk and the what to the uh, the outcome and the economic outcome in particular, <clears throat> and whether we will be able to uh, to move or uh, into uh, uh, net zero carbon over the coming few years as was uh, uh, planned or not. Uh, it's. My view is not about a couple of tweets from uh, uh, individuals or wealthy uh, business uh, uh, people. We have to deal with facts in academia. We, we deal with figures and facts. So nobody, nobody can deny the rapid growth of financial technology. No one can deny that. But at the same time, this, this cast doubt on achieving the net zero carbon by some countries. And the recent statistics, that the, uh, the, 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 about the electricity consumption for Bitcoin in 2019, uh, for example. It's, as far as I remember, it's about 125, 126 terawatt hour. This is huge. So also, the, 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 this is, this is the, what we can uh, hear from media. This is uh, the total consumption is probably of, of, of Bitcoin is is higher than the energy consumption in some European countries like Norway or other in Latin America like Argentina. So this cast doubt, this provide a bit of uh, unease to the people and about the market all in all. So a recent study I read in April uh, 2020 that 75% of the world cryptocurrencies mining is found in China and that the growth of crypto assets and blockchain activities are expected to generate around 130 million metric ton of carbon emission. So, so when you read those uh, facts and statistics, so where are we going? Uh, where, where, what was the direction of travel for this? So I would say that we will need to do more work. Availability of the data on the consumption of electricity of Bitcoin and other cryptos is not really uh, available uh, or is not really uh, documented, if I may say. So the more data are coming, this will allow academics to engage in more research and analysis in order to see whether this argument is validated or not. But at the moment, what has been said, this raised concerns about the, the future of the market, unless there are some uh, actions needs to be done. And as you rightly mentioned, there are some uh, uh, actions are uh, being taken in consideration by, by some industry players, but I think we need more. Yeah, definitely. I think um, obviously a switch to proof of stake is at least a, a good step into the right direction, but yeah, and there's obviously always still room to grow and on that regard. And um, everyone has to kind of in the industry come together and find common ground rather than arguing about small facts or numbers yeah. today, right? And uh, I think that's also, at least in my opinion, one of the core, you know, beauties of the blockchain space that people at least try to uh, work together in a collaborative manner, right? To foster, you know, a positive future in the long run. So 
you know, before we wrap this up, um, another question I would like to have is, you know, to you personally, what is, you know, on the one hand, maybe the most feasible and on the other hand, if you can even describe it that way, the most sustainable tokenization use case, do you have any opinion on that? Yeah, uh, uh, there are, <coughs> excuse me, there are many uh, use cases around and uh, okay, I, if I, I don't want to be biased towards finance, this is my discipline, but, uh, but, but definitely you may agree that uh, the tokenized, tokenization of uh, uh, assets will be uh, or probably one of the most interesting uh, use cases. But I want to reflect on, on other uh, areas or other disciplines that really I, I came across with the, uh, the Norwegian company is called Empower. And what they use, they use blockchain technology in connection to the collection of uh, plastic waste and garbage and from the oceans and so on. So what did they do? They, they, they are using tokens as a means of payments and incentives in their ecosystem. So the company trying to create a global solution to plastic waste. So this is what I'm trying to say. If you are able to use tokenization to solve worldwide problems, so people will realize what is the value and what is the direction of travel for this industry. So their blockchain in this company based <coughs> uh, 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 verifies how much plastic is collected and giving location and tokens are paid to volunteers who collect plastic. So this is really very innovative way to use the blockchain uh, technologies and tokens in order to solve one of the most uh, uh, critical issues, which is related to plastic waste. Yeah, I think that's also a very, you know, <coughs> pressing issue, right? With everything that's going on in the oceans and so on. So yeah, really props to, props to them and, um, you know, this respective use case, I think it's a great uh, point that you made there. So at, as the final question that I always have for my guests, obviously there is no definite answer you can give, but where do you see blockchain in 10 years from now? Yeah, <laughs> that's a hard question, Nicholas. Yes. But, <laughs> but uh, again, let, 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 let's see what, what the, the most recent statistics, what's happening over the past few years in order to predict what is, what is coming. So first, I would like to reflect on the financial inclusion. So 2 billion people on earth are unbanked no banks, they have no relationship whatsoever with banks. Last five years only, over 700 million people had access to alternative banking service via what? Via FinTech. So this shows you what, where are we heading? So when you look at the statistics about uh, a report, recent report by Citibank, which is, says around 30% of traditional banking and finance jobs will disappear in 10 years. So it does give you uh, indication that there is something going on. That 14% of the jobs across 32 countries are highly vulnerable. So this is by the OECD uh, report. So I would say to answer your question is, the sky is the limit. In 10 years time tokenization, I would guess that would be business as usual. So the most promising area of tokenization uh, it's not only in finance, uh, tokenizing shares and bonds and illiquid estates and real estate. Definitely, this is a, a very promising uh, uh, sector. It will also play an active role in solving climate crisis. And this is one of the projects I told you I'm working 
on at the minute. So, so these innovations definitely will have impact on asset management. We'll have stock and commodity exchanges. We'll have, you will see different banking in infrastructure. We, we will see different business models for insurance companies, for instance. And, uh, and, and, and definitely uh, companies dealing with token issuance and auditing will be different. Uh, tax reporting will be different. Software development companies, low companies, and also regulatory bodies and mainly governance mechanisms. Thank you, Hisham, for this uh, great interview. I think this was a, a great, uh, a perfect closing statement, right? We all have to wait till, you know, the tools will become a bit more intuitive for everyone to use, but I think we're definitely on the right path. And yeah, I think then it will just be like the internet nowadays that we're using it, but we don't even have to understand it necessarily. So it's, it's going to be exciting to see. And yeah, I'm looking forward to finding out more about your current work. And I, I, yeah, I would say I recommend everyone to check out your publications. They're really insightful. So thanks for this great interview. And um, Thank you very yeah, much. we'll talk soon. Thank you very much, Nicholas. Thank you. You're welcome. And, and to our listeners and viewers as well, thank you for, for joining the show or watching it on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify when you're listening. Um, as always, if you have any questions in regard to tokenization or blockchain in general, you can reach out to myself or any other colleague from Amazing Blocks anytime. And I'll, I'll see you guys next week. Thank you.